This is the Black and Blue Report presented by ABC Insurance Agencies, a better choice for insurance. Now from Studio B or wherever the Saints or Pelicans might be, here's Sean Kelly. Hi, gang. How you doing on this Monday? I know, I know, not a great weekend for our Saints and Pelicans, that's for sure. We'll walk you through some of it today, and we'll uh, hopefully give you some encouragement moving forward. Welcome into the Black and Blue Report, the podcast for Saints and Pelicans fans. I said yesterday on the uh, Saints postgame show presented by Verizon that it was going to take me a little while to get my arms around it, and still on this Monday morning I can't in that 25-23 loss to the Denver Broncos yesterday. Just, I mean, one emotion in in, in in this hand, and then all of a sudden in the other hand, you're handed the pile of bad emotion uh, in, in the way the game finished yesterday. I'm Sean Kelly. We're going to talk about yesterday's uh, ball game that dropped the Saints to 4-5 and five with our own John DeShazer today from NewOrleansSaints.com. Uh, we'll catch him on his way into uh, the facility where he will uh, quickly, with the football team, kind of wrap uh, yesterday and already look ahead to Carolina. This is the short week. Don't forget the Saints and the Panthers are Thursday night football here this week. And uh, we'll quickly get to that game, you know, probably well, starting, if not tomorrow, Wednesday and Thursday will be pretty intense in getting ready for uh, Thursday night's division game. And then the Pelicans fell to the Lakers on Saturday night and kind of fell with a thud, lost by 27. The Lakers, that young, exciting team, uh, shot the lights out. By the way, the Lakers then went to Minneapolis and lost to the Wolves last night, so uh, they they had a split weekend. I guess they I guess they used up all their shooting on the Pelicans at the Smoothie King Center on Saturday. Uh, no word yet on Anthony Davis. The team did not uh, practice yesterday. Uh, we should know something later today, and obviously we'll have the latest for you tonight on uh, the Pelicans radio network. I'll give you the broadcast details on that shortly. But tonight the Celtics are in town, and the Pelicans at one and nine are still search, searching for their first home win of the year. Now, this won't be easy uh, as Boston rolls in here uh, with a with a grit and an edge that uh, came to the forefront of their season last year. We'll see if that's still the case when our own Daniel Salerson visits with Chris Forsberg. He covers the Celtics for ESPN Boston, and he's our second guest today. So we'll uh, kind of wrap up this rough weekend, and we'll look ahead to tonight and a little bit toward Thursday, all in one fell swoop. Glad you're with us on your podcast, one for Saints and Pelicans fans, the Black and Blue Report. Our conversations today uh, start with John DeShazer after this quick timeout. Win the night for the entire family with a Pierre's Party Pack. Ticket packages are available for select Pelicans home games throughout the season and include three or more tickets, combo meals, and an encore free throw experience with Pierre the Pelican, all for as low as $48. The next Pierre's Party Pack night is Saturday, November 19th against the Charlotte Hornets. For more information and to plan your next winning night out with the gang, visit pelicans.com today. We all know Saints fans are humble, hardworking, likable, and the most devoted fans in the league. All of that takes energy. The energy you get from a warm bowl of Campbell's Chunky Soup. Its meaty goodness fuels the greatness of Saints fans everywhere. Try the delicious Chunky Chicken and Sausage Gumbo. Just visit your local supermarket and ask for Campbell's Chunky Soup, the hearty way to fuel your game, and the official soup of the New Orleans Saints.
Smoothie King Center. Tickets on sale now at Ticketmaster.com, 800-745-3000, or Venue Box Office. Maxwell and Mary J. Blige, live. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. Here's Sean Kelly and John DeShazer. Welcome back to Black and Blue Report. Let's let's dig a little deeper now into yesterday's Saints game, the loss to Denver, twenty-five to twenty-three. And, and I'll be honest, uh, when I was thinking about my conversation, my Monday morning conversation with John DeShazer from NewOrleansSaints.com, with about one twenty-two or so left in the game yesterday, I thought my conversation was going to go a certain way, and then suddenly it it it's not going to. <laughs> well, welcome in, John. It's a much different Monday than I envisioned at a certain point yesterday afternoon. That one definitely took a left turn right at the end. Um, uh, unexpected. There has never been, from what I saw, from what I've read and heard, an NFL game to end that way. So that tells you exactly how bizarre it was uh, that the Saints had that ending that they had Sunday against Denver. In, in, a, in, an, in a 50-year history of di- finding different ways to either win or lose, this one takes the cake, John, and I don't know if Saints fans, let alone the Saints players and coaches, will be able to shake this one anytime soon. Well, they're going to have to um, because they've got a game Thursday night, but this is the kind of game that you hope it doesn't, you hope it doesn't leak over and cost you two games. You know what I'm saying? You don't want the hangover to go Thursday with the Saints to Charlotte when they play Carolina Uh, because if it does they're going to walk out of there with the loss also so hopefully they can get this one you know rectified and get it out of their mouths pretty pretty quickly but look this was a a tough one to swallow when you're talking about losing in a fashion that has never been done in NFL history now yes the two-point conversion was just recently instituted and you know now you know defenders get uh, two points if they return that conversion successfully for themselves but look, this has never happened before in Saints history or in NFL history, so it's going to be a tough one to, to, to swallow because we talk about taking, you know, catching defeat out of the jaws of victory. Well, the Saints have uh, performed and a PAT away from taking a late lead and hopefully holding on to it. Now, there's no guarantee they're going to hold on to it with a minute 22 left, but you feel pretty good about their chances. At least they have the lead, and at least they're forcing Denver to have to make a play, have to get a field goal to win the game, and and so once it goes sideways from there, man, that's a difficult one to swallow. Refresh my memory. Didn't Stephon Anthony scoop one up and return a, a a block PAT last season to be the first to do so in the NFL, albeit not a game winner? Yes, he did so, and he did so against Carolina, and that was the first successful PAT return uh, in NFL history. So, yes, indeed, the Saints were the first team to, to score a defensive uh two-point conversion, uh, and this one comes back to bite them at, at the absolute positive worst time. I mean, and really, if you're Denver, look, it's a good, it's a great call by Denver because Denver has nothing to lose in that situation. If Denver commits a penalty, uh, the Saints probably still kick a PAT. If the Saints get a two-point conversion, Denver still needs a field goal in order to win the game, and no time expires off the clock. So if you're Denver, it's a perfect storm. I mean, you can sell out and block it any way you can, and they just so happen to have a rookie free safety, Justin Simmons, who's got a 40-inch vertical uh, from the combine, and he's able to get over Justin Drescher, and whether or not Jared Crick, the defensive end, pulls Justin Drescher down or pushes him down illegally, 
you know, all that's for another day. Whether Will Park steps out of bounds uh, on the return, all that's for another day. All that matters is the officials said there's no conclusive evidence to say that Park stepped out of bounds. No penalty was called on Crick, and the play stands. So, yes, yeah, Steph Anthony did it, but uh, Denver unfortunately did it in a much more crucial situation. John DeShazer and myself try not to bury the lead here. We're staying right with the uh, the big play yesterday. All right, John, so with that being said, I know what you just said about the play itself, but I'm going to ask you the same question that every Saints fan is asking their fellow Saints fan this morning. Did Denver illegally block that PAT in your opinion? I think so. I think they illegally blocked the PAT, and I think Park stepped out of bounds. I mean, <laughs> look, I think I think it was a perfect storm for Denver from the standpoint of, you know, there was not a great angle to see whether or not he stepped out of bounds. He's got on white shoes at the white sideline. It very much looks like he stepped out of bounds. But even before that, yes, it looks like Crick pulled Justin Drescher down, not, you know, open hand, push on the back, and that kind of thing. It looks like he pulled him down, and it, that's an illegal play. That's a penalty. And so the Saints should have gotten a do-over in that situation, but unfortunately they don't. I mean, the play stands. But, yeah, I, look, if you're, if you're asking me, and I'm trying to be as, as objective as I, as I can be, and I think we're usually fairly objective when it comes to the Saints regardless. It looks like Justin Drescher is pulled out on that play, and you can't do that. That's illegal. Yeah, okay, all right. In the spirit of being fairly objective then, uh, does does our opinion of whether the play was legal or not excuse uh, the fact that special teams essentially may have lost you the game yesterday? No, no, no. I mean, because they're, they're the first ones to say, look, we should have changed the, the cadence, the snap count. Uh, you, we should have been aware of that. And, I mean, look, in that situation, you've got to be expecting that play. That's, that's the in vogue play in college. And the NFL, the guy makes the, the the hurdle move and goes for the for the PAT block or the field block. If you're the Saints, you've got to be expecting that play. You've got to change up your snap count, and that means you draw them off sides or whatever, or, or you draw a penalty on them, and they're probably less likely to try it again. But you've got to be cognizant of that. And the Saints, you know, said, look, we practiced against this. We we felt like it was coming. You know, Sean Payton says, look. We know that look, that's the look that they're going to use in that situation, and yet the Saints didn't execute the play. So that, as much as anything, you know, is as responsible for that play as the actual, you know, Jared Crick or, or Justin Simmons. That is as responsible, the, the lack of recognition and the inability to pick it up and the inability to draw, uh, draw them off sides or get a penalty or to change the cadence, change the snap count, and get them in a position where they commit a penalty instead of being able to block the kick. And, of course, you know, we can't at all overlook the four turnovers that lead to 13 Denver points and put the Saints in the precarious position where they've got to make the comeback and they've got to, you know, furiously, you know, rally down the stretch. You're always leading me in the right direction here. John DeShazer with us from NewOrleansSaints.com and after, I guess, thoroughly vetting the, the lead here on our Monday morning walkthrough. John, if we back up and look at this game as a whole – you know, minus, minus, what was it, minus two on the turnovers and then the discrepancy in the number of offensive snaps between Denver and New Orleans. Is that really where this game is won or lost, or do we still circle back to the, the final special teams play there? No, you, you you know, it never comes down to one exact play. I mean, when you're talking about four turnovers and you're minus two, that is a losing, that's a losing equation 
probably 90, 95% of the time. I mean, that's just the way the NFL works. Teams take advantage of your mistakes. The Saints have four turnovers in that game, two of them crucial uh, second-half fumbles by, by Michael Thomas, the, the rookie receiver you know, sensation, until yesterday has his one hiccup NFL moment. Drew Brees, two interceptions in the first half. And those things are killers. And now we circle back, as you mentioned, to the 85, 83 offensive plays that Denver runs for the Saints, I think 50-some. Well, not only you know, do the Saints not win the game and, and, they, you know, and the defense is on the field for those 83 plays, but now you've got to think about this. They're playing a short week. They're playing Carolina, an extremely physical team that likes to run the ball. And that defense was on the field for 39 minutes and 22 seconds of yesterday's game. Those are the kind of things that take a toll on you. Look, when Seattle came here to play the Saints on a Sunday, from a Sunday to Sunday, that Sunday night, they played an overtime game against Arizona, and that defense had 90-plus snaps on the field. And the Saints said, look, we want to keep them on the field. We want to keep that defense on the field as long as possible, and they were able to do that against Seattle. Well, Carolina's going to be looking at the same thing against the Saints. When that defense, when the Saints defense plays 80-plus snaps, they're on the field for almost 40 minutes. Carolina wants to keep them on the field and see if they can tire them out. You know, it's a short week. So even more so than it's like Seattle. Again, Seattle has Sunday to Sunday to go. The Saints have Sunday to Thursday, so you lock a couple of days off in recovery time and put them back on the field. Those things reared up against the Saints yesterday, uh, especially the four turnovers, because, look, they're in position to win the game, but the four turnovers put them in position where they had to rally. And instead of being maybe comfortably ahead or maybe just winning the game by maybe 10 or so, you know, now you're in position all of a sudden because of those turnovers of having to scramble the two in the first half. You know, if, if Sterling Moore doesn't come over with that pick late in the first half and get the Saints in position of where they can get a field goal going into halftime, does the game have a different look? Absolutely. If, if Pam Jordan doesn't supply the pressure and Kenny Vaccaro comes up with a second interception and the Saints are able to punch that one in on a short field on the touchdown to take a 17-10 to 10 lead, does the game have a, a different look? Of course it does. But then when you turn it over twice to give Denver the opportunity to get right back in it and to take the lead, that's where those turnovers come into focus much more so. That's something obviously the Saints, you know, they always talk about having to clean up areas. Well, that, that area and getting off the field on third down, which they did not do a good job of yesterday, which is why they were on the field for 83 plays, you know, those areas have to be addressed and they got to be addressed quickly. Most valid observations there. John Ashesha with us here on the Black and Blue Report. J.D., let's cite some individual performances uh, from yesterday. And if you don't mind, can I start? Is that okay with you? You can start. Go ahead. Look, Craig Robertson is making a case right now for the best new addition to the New Orleans Saints this year. There's a, there's a handful of really good candidates, but I keep looking at Craig Robertson, who led the team with nine tackles yesterday and also picked up a sack. So I wanted to start with him, and I'll let you go from there. Well, I, I, you and you right, hit it right on the head. Craig's been fantastic as a guy who's been. And remember, Craig was brought in just to really kind of be a special teams guy and maybe a filler on defense. Well, he's turned into the anchor defensively for this team. Uh, Cam Jordan, I thought, had a fantastic game. Um, yeah. Nine tackles, a sack, a couple of hurries. Uh, he lived in the backfield. He applied a lot of pressure to Trevor Simeon, and he was extremely disruptive. I think that. It was good to see Brandon Cooks have the kind of game. He had three catches for 98 yards. 
uh, almost a 33-yard average, and a, full, and, and a couple of clutch ones on that last touchdown drive that show you the, the symmetry and, and the communication between he and Drew Brees, I think, were huge. Uh, I thought, you know, Drew Brees was Drew Brees in the second half. Now, the first half, he's 8 for 14, two interceptions, 109 yards. The second half, he's 13 for 15, 194 yards, and three touchdowns. I thought that was phenomenal. And the offensive line, I can't say enough about those guys because, yeah. you know, we, we go back to this, and we thought this offensive line was going to have problems this season based on what we saw during the preseason and what we saw during training camp. We thought these guys were going to struggle, and it was like, okay, well, you know, Andrews Pete isn't fitting in at right guard. Uh, they're, they're, that means they're struggling too at left guard, and Saron Armstead isn't really working at left tackle because he's out. And now all of a sudden this could be the strongest unit on the team. They piecemealed it. But they piecemealed it with guys who were on the team last year, guys who have played those positions before, guys who are comfortable in their roles. And so they've been able to just pick up a beat. When a guy can't play like Teron Armstead or if Andrews Pete can't play, you know, they just picked it up right where they left off. And they've been able to keep Drew Brees clean. And keeping him clean yesterday against Denver allowed the Saints to be able to come back. Denver came into that game with 28 sacks and allowing 183 passing yards a game. Drew Brees got up to 303 yards. And he was only sacked, you know, once or twice. And I mean, I think he, I think he was sacked once and hit four other times. Other than that, he was pretty clean. And that's about as much as you can ask from an offensive line. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I, and I think that in all of our discussion today, let's not forget the the uh, defending Super Bowl champion defense that you were up against, even with Tlaib out yesterday, no doubt. And Willie Sneed had his second, I guess it's his second career multi-touchdown game, as well. Um, John, I know you've got to run here because it's going to be a busy morning at, at the uh, Saints headquarters. So give me an idea of how uh, the Saints will go about their schedule this week, at least a, a sketch, if you don't mind, as to what Sean Payton will do with his team leading up to travel on Wednesday. Well, the beauty of playing a division rival, even on a short week, is it's a division rival, and the Saints have already played them this year. Uh, neither Carolina nor the Saints have a ton of time to throw in a bunch of new stuff. So they're going to do what they do. So you don't have to, you know, your film study probably can be cut in half, you know, not just because you have the short week, but because it's a familiar opponent. You know, nobody's got time to be working on double reverses and, you know, trick plays. So they should know each other pretty well from that standpoint. But it's, the key is recovery for the Saints, and especially for the defensive guys who are out on the field so long. The Saints have just got to get their bodies back in order to play in this short week. And, I mean, you know, the defensive guys are bruised and battered. Uh, they spent a lot of time on the field, but that's the key thing right now is the recovery process physically as much as mentally because they're worn down. They've got to be worn down from playing 80-plus snaps defensively, so they got to get the bodies right, hopefully be able to rebound there. And then, of course, the mental you know, readjustment is going to play a factor too because they lost in a heartbreaking fashion. So how fast can they wash this taste out of their mouth and try to get a new one uh, come Thursday? Two quick things before I let you go, J.D. Number one, can in any way you look at this and say, hey, look, if you're going to lose, it may as well have been this weekend when three of the four teams of the NFC South also lost. Do you do, you do that, or is that dangerous? No, no, no. That is the only silver lining to take from this, really, is that you know teams weren't able to create, create any separation. Atlanta lost. Atlanta still one game ahead in the loss column, which is the column that you have to be watching right now. And so that is the one silver lining that comes out of this 
that the Saints don't lose any footing in the division race. Because right now, you know, we're not thinking the wild card team is going to come out of the NFC South division. So you're going to have to win the division title, and the Saints are still right there in the thick of it with a chance to win the division title. Yeah, no doubt. Still two games against Tampa, another against Atlanta, and, of course, this Thursday against Carolina. Last thing, John, is this, and you've touched on it a couple of times, so conventional wisdom would agree with what you've said in that you try and flush this one quick, you get the taste out of your mouth and move ahead because Carolina's coming down the pipe right now. Or do you sit here and say maybe you hang on to this? Maybe you hang on to this hurt a little bit and it serves as a motivator. What do you think? Well, I mean, it can go both ways. I mean, you always hear teams and coaches saying you got to flush it. And, and I think they probably need to flush it because it, it's a painful thing now. You don't want to experience that pain again. So from that standpoint, you want to kind of remember what it felt like because you don't want that feeling again. But, you, you know, the, the mistakes that led to it, those are the things you got to flush out and get rid of and try to correct and get, and get away from. Uh, but, again, it, it's a painful, you know, and I don't care what anybody says, that's a painful ending, man. When you fight and you scratch and you do everything you feel like you can and to lose it on not a fluke play but as a, as bizarre a play as you will ever find in NFL history to finish a game. When you lose that way, it's going to sting, and I think you got to get rid of some of that thing because you don't want your head down for three or four, de- four games, and you certainly don't want to be thinking about it You know, the day before you play Carolina or the morning you play Carolina. You want to kind of be done with it by then. Fair enough. I know you're on your way to work, and I appreciate it, John DeShazer. Uh, all the best, and uh, I'll see you tonight for basketball, by the way. It's not like you're done with me today. No, we, we see a lot of each other this time of year. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know what you did to deserve that, but that's the way it goes. <laughs> Thank I you, sir. Yes, and maybe a home win tonight for the Pelicans. What do you think? Yeah, let's see if we can get one. Let's see if we can wash away yesterday's loss with a win tonight against Boston. Let's 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 work on that one. All right, sounds good. Speaking of Boston, Daniel Sandlerson here in just a moment. He joins us here from the Smoothie King Center as we continue on this Monday, and Daniel will give us a look at tonight's opponent for the Pelicans, those Boston Celtics. Stay with us. Got a long day ahead? Power on with Smoothie King's new coffee high-protein smoothies. It's a nutritious breakfast blended to shift your morning into high gear with delightfully smooth cold-brewed coffee for your mind and at least 30 grams of protein for your body. Try all four energizing flavors, vanilla, almond mocha, raspberry mocha, and cinnamon latte, and power on your day. New coffee high-protein smoothies. Coffee for your mind and protein for your body. Only at Smoothie King. Smoothies with a purpose. Have a once-in-a-lifetime experience at a New Orleans Pelicans home game. Get up close and personal with seats that put your feet on the hardwood and sit you within arm's length of NBA superstars. Pelicans floor seats are now available and come with access to private hospitality during the game, plus invitations to exclusive team and premium events. It's the best way to experience NBA action. Call 525-HOOP or visit pelicans.com and score your seats today. Auctioner believes the best way to predict the future is to invent it. Here, our doctors and staff are changing lives day after day. Every week, I'm operating on babies who are days old with hearts smaller than walnuts. We're giving these kids a life they wouldn't otherwise have, a chance to grow up. Sometimes, cancer patients come who were told they were out of options. 
But Auctioner has the most clinical trials in the state. It's amazing to be able to give second chances. We're always a step ahead, even with simple things, like getting you in to see a doctor today versus a week from now, so what you have doesn't become something bigger. It makes a difference. Every day, Auctioner is creating a better future by looking forward and thinking differently to find life-changing solutions. That's healthcare with peace of mind. Appointments are available today. Call 866-AUCTIONER or visit auctioner.org. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. Here's Daniel Sellerson. All right, time to talk Pelicans on this Monday. Pelicans and Celtics night at the Smoothie King Center. Joining me now is Boston Celtics reporter from ESPN.com, Chris Forsberg. Chris, hello. Thanks for coming on today, I should say. Thanks, my man. Zach, glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, Chris, the Celtics are 5-4 and four this season. Uh, two in a row they've won after losing three in a row so far. What's the feeling like in Boston right now after this 5-4 and four start? Well, it's hard to get a gauge on, on where this team is at. They haven't been healthy at all. So the start of the year, they, they have Kelly Olynyk and Marcus Smart, two guys that have started in the last two games. They were injured starting the year. Then you had Al Horford get the concussion. He's missed the last six games. Uh, Jay Crowder has missed about four or five in a row here with an ankle injury. It just feels like you don't know what you really have from the Celtics. And that sort of had a trickle-down effect on the team in terms of their play on the court. You just – uh, they haven't looked as crisp as they did in the preseason when they had all their horses out there. So I think they're encouraged that they were able to bounce back here and win a couple uh, against the Knicks and Pacers over the weekend. Uh, but there's still a lot of, uh, uh, of uh, building to be done. It's, it's, it's odd. The, the Celtics were supposed to be one of the better defenses, and they haven't shown it yet. I think Brad Stevens wants to see what, what, what he's got when he's got everybody available. But it, it, it seems like that's gonna, it still might be a few more days before they get a look at that. At the same time, though, they are 5-4 and four despite all the injuries. So why have they been able to stay afloat with even the uh, different starting lineups and different lineups in general? Yeah, well, getting Marcus Smart and Kelly Olenek back was, was big. Marcus, they're two, eventually, those two should be their bench weapons. Maybe Kelly moves into the starting lineup when Horford's healthy and he can fool around with really floor-stretching lineups. Uh, but they've given them a boost that they needed, especially once Horford and Crowder went down. Uh, but, you know, there is the, – the, the offense has been better than I think most could have envisioned. You know, when Horford's out there, the ball really zips around. The Celtics look really crisp as a starting unit. Without him, it's been a little bit more jagged, but um, they're getting contributions. Isaiah Thomas, no surprise, has, has sort of maintained his all-star level of play. He's increased his scoring here early in the season. And then you've got a guy like Avery Bradley who – he's only 25, but he seems like he's been in the, the league for 10 years because he came in so early – and he's elevated his plays. I think he's even Boston's top rebounder, which is absurd. But the Celtics are the smallest team in the league, and they've, they've asked a lot of these guards to, to elevate their games in other ways. So it's been the backcourt sort of picking them up right now and, uh, and carrying them through. I think Isaiah just wants to see this team get back to, you know, he even heard it from Anthony Davis in the preseason. He said when he was talking about the Celtics, he said that, we, that the Pelicans want to be like them because they play so hard. Celtics got away from that a little bit early in the year. They seem to be getting that back and understanding that in order to be successful, they got to play really hard when they're on the floor. Do you uh, sense that Al Horford will play tonight? You mentioned he missed the last six games with a concussion. Seems like everyone always seems to come back when they play the Pelicans. Will this be another case <laughs> of Al Horford returning tonight for Boston? Yeah, yeah I, would, I would say there's a very good chance he plays. They weren't going to bring him on this trip unless they thought he could return. He sat out on Saturday night in, in Indiana 
probably to give him a couple extra days to, to get through this concussion. Uh, but I would I would be a little bit surprised if he didn't play tonight. That would mean there was a setback of some sort. Uh, Al went into the concussion protocol. He got nailed in the head during a practice about two weeks ago, uh, and it's just been a slow grind. You know, the, the NBA has those those benchmarks of tests you have to pass, working your way back, and he didn't really make much progress through the first week and a half, uh, but it sort of started to, to escalate a little bit last week, and uh, you get the sense that he's getting antsy to get out there. Uh, unfortunately for the Pelicans, it does seem like uh, there's a good chance that Al will, will find his way back onto the, the court tonight. All right, well, what does he bring back to the Boston starting lineup? I know you've only seen him for three games in preseason, but what has Al Horford meant to this team, even if it has only been three games so far in the regular season? Yeah, so I think the, the number one thing that stands out, especially from the preseason, was, again, just how much the ball zips around the floor. You know, you think about Brad Stevens' offense, and, and he, they like to spread things out and play through their bigs. And so that if they can put the ball into Al's hands early in a set, their guards can move around. It means that Isaiah Thomas can't be really uh, locked in on. Like we've seen teams in the playoffs in previous seasons really put a focus on Isaiah. Put, make, making the ball go through Al uh, just takes a lot of the pressure off those guards to create on their own. Uh, and the offense just move, looks really, really smooth so far when, when he's on the court. And then defensively, you know, obviously he's not the biggest guy in the world and he's not the best rebounder. Uh, but he's just so steady defensively that it, 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 it takes away a lot of the cracks that form uh, in the Boston defense, at least in what we've seen without him uh, protecting that back line and calling out plays. Uh, I think it'll be a boost. Now, I guess the one good thing for Pelicans fans is that there's going to be a little bit of rust. Al hasn't been able to do much in terms of cardio, and, and just anytime you're off the court for two weeks, there's going to be a, a, a gradual reacclimation process. Uh, so I don't expect him to be very sharp. Uh, in his first game back, and I would think that his minutes might be limited a little bit just as they get him back used to, to the floor. But I think the Celtics are hopeful. Listen, they paid $113 million for this guy over the offseason. There's a lot of hope that they can help, that Al's the sort of guy that can get them to another level. What about Jalen Brown? What have you seen from him through nine games? Yeah, it, it's interesting. He's a 19, When they drafted him, he's a 19-year-old kid. The, the scouting report was insanely raw. Uh, that it was going to take time for him to develop a jump shot, but that you know the obvious physical tools are there. He's got an NBA-ready body, so he can just jump right in there and, and guard swing men and small forwards, uh, even though he's younger. And then the, the 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 part that really stands out when you watch him is that Boston is such a low to the floor team. Like guys, the, the, even the past two seasons when they've had a lot of success, there's just no one who's flying at the rim. Well, Jalen comes in and seems like once or twice a game he tries to put someone on a poster going at the basket. It's just jarring because Boston hasn't had a guy like that. Uh, the, 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 the flip side there is that, again, he's still raw. He, one night he goes out and he starts and he has a great game against LeBron James. The next night he's struggling with someone like Carmelo and they got to get him off the court. So it's still a learning process for him, and it's going to take some time for him to get where they need to be. Uh, the, the fact that he's 20 and, and shows a, 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 a decent NBA game is a, is a good sign and an encouraging sign because a lot of Boston fans were leery. The, he didn't have a great one season at Cal, and there was uh, concerns about whether his game would translate to the next level. Uh, but I think we've seen enough to know that, that he's going to be pretty good. It's just going to take some time to get there. All right, uh, two-part question before I let you go. What are some keys for Boston to get their third win in a row tonight against the Pelicans, and how can the Pelicans get over the hump um, and taking down a tough Celtics team tonight? All right, I'll start with the back half. I think, honestly, like what the, the recipe for success for opposing teams early in the season has been attack the offensive glass because Boston is the shortest team in the league. Their bigs are not good rebounders in general. you got guys like Horford and Kelly Olenek who 
have some size, but they're just not going to to rebound the, the ball consistently. Uh, teams have really, really exploited this team on the glass. So if Anthony Davis can sit there and clean up everything, there's going to be there's a very good chance the Pelicans can hang in this game and and uh, and really make Boston sweat because uh, again it's just it's their weakness right now and 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 Boston doesn't have an obvious solution for that. Uh, I guess what Boston would hope is that with Al Horford back, you eliminate some of those cracks in the defense, you get a little bit more stout defensively, you limit those second chance opportunities. Uh, and and now there's a little bit extra firepower out there. The offense again has been really good, um, you know. If, if, if it, but the the Celtics need Isaiah Thomas to have big nights. They need someone else to step up, especially while Jay Crowder is out, in order to sort of fill that secondary role. So, you know, a lot has to go right for Boston in terms of Isaiah and Avery Bradley having big nights uh, to just to sort of shoulder the load while they navigate these injuries. That's Chris Forsberg, Boston Celtics reporter for ESPN.com. Chris, always a pleasure. Thanks for coming on, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks again. All right. When we come back, we'll wrap up this Monday edition of the Black and Blue Report. We all know Saints fans are humble, hardworking, likable, and the most devoted fans in the league. All of that takes energy. The energy you get from a warm bowl of Campbell's Chunky Soup. Its meaty goodness fuels the greatness of Saints fans everywhere. Try the delicious chunky chicken and sausage gumbo. Just visit your local Winn-Dixie and ask for Campbell's Chunky Soup, the hearty way to fuel your game, and the official soup of the New Orleans Saints. Take flight with your New Orleans Pelicans and have an amazing game night group experience that you can customize to meet your group's needs. Bring your family, friends, or coworkers and we'll bring the fun. Make lasting memories while you sit back and enjoy the excitement of watching the world's best athletes and ask how you can be a part of the action on center court. For more information and to book your group night, call 525-HOOP or visit pelicans.com today. Hi, Vincent Palumbo here. Terminex is the home of the $650 lifetime termite repair guarantee. Terminex provides termite protection and pest control. Call Terminex for all your pest problems. 834-7330. It's Pelicans game day. This is the Black and Blue Report. Hey, some Mondays are better than others, aren't they? All right, we'll we'll effort for a better Monday next week. Or actually, Friday this week will be our Monday. Uh, You'll figure it out. (laughs) So will we. We're going to give it a shot. Busy week for the Saints, obviously, on the short week, as we've been talking about today. Carolina's Thursday night. Also a busy week for the Pelicans. They have four games this week, three of which, though, are at home, including tonight against the Boston Celtics. Tickets are available. Uh, Tonight is also a guys' night out. uh, And, of course, that means two tickets, four beers for maybe as little as 50 bucks. And you can go to pelicans.com and snatch one of those up and uh, make it a good Monday night tonight uh, as the Pelicans will seek their first home win of the season when they entertain Boston. Hey, thanks to Chris Forsberg today from ESPN Boston and his visit with our own Daniel Salerson. Also, John DeShazer from NewOrleansSaints.com. He is uh, pulling double duty today, uh, wrapping up the Saints weekend and uh, joining me on the broadcast tonight. We'll look for you on the Pelicans Radio Network. You get all three of us tonight. Daniel Salerson gets us going at 6.30 Central Time with Pelicans warm-up live from the atrium at the Smoothie King Center. And then uh, John and I will have the uh, call of the game for you starting at 7 when all the uh, stations on the network uh, join up with us. 
So with that being said, we've got to get going here on this Monday. Still a lot to do. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Uh, Daniel Salerson's your host. Uh, Fantasy football with Jake Seeley uh, tomorrow. We'll also talk Pelicans, hopefully looking back at a win over uh, the Celts tonight. So with that, we'll uh, bid you adieu just for a short time. I'll see you on the radio tonight. Otherwise, right back here tomorrow with Daniel on the Black and Blue Report. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Black and Blue Report, presented by ABC Insurance Agencies, a better choice for insurance. If all goes well, we'll be back tomorrow. Tune in each weekday at noon central or at your convenience exclusively online at pelicans.com and neworleansaints.com. Follow your teams direct from the source. The Black and Blue Report.